0: Some of you will know this story, but when I, uh, if you know Sutton Park, and you go in through Boldmere Gate, and you go up and you park, say, where the model aeroplanes fly, and then you walk down towards the Jubilee Stone, and down the hill, and up again, there is a tree as you come up towards the Jubilee Stone, there is a big tree. And uh, when uh, Caleb was uh, my my youngest son, when he was uh, around uh, 9, 10, 11, 12, 13, we used to go to Sutton Park and play football golf. I don't know if you ever play football golf. It's great. You have a football, and you, you have to try and see how few shots you can do to hit a tree or an old lady or whatever it is, and you just... And uh, so you... you And it was a way of walking the dog, playing football, and um, we used to do that a lot. And uh, we would have, I bet you can't do this, Dad. And um, I was the dad, obviously. And uh, I think Caleb said, I bet you can't kick the ball over that tree. And I'm a sucker for those kind of things. I've grown out of it. But in early life, I got into a lot of difficulty because somebody said, I bet you can't, I would. Uh, Anyway, I had a go and a ball got stuck in the very top of the tree. And I promise you that for 10 years, if you walked in the winter and you looked at that tree, you'd have seen a football up there, and you said, some poor kid has lost that football. And it was my son's football, and it was me that put it up there. The reason I'm telling you this story is because when I was a kid, I much preferred and probably still do, cartoon books to real books. I loved Tintin, I loved Asterix, but I particularly loved Charlie Brown. My dad had all the Charlie Brown books, and uh, I've still got them. And I want to uh, tell you a long Charlie Brown story. If you're watching this on the video, I apologise that you're not going to be able to see it for copyright reasons, but I will read you the story. And it begins with Charlie Brown being angry at what he calls the kite-eating tree because uh, every year he flies his kite and it gets stuck in the tree. And I, um, I never lost a kite in a tree, but I lost a football in a tree. And he gets increasingly angry. It's one of the, the thing about Charlie Brown is a lot of recurring themes, and this is one of the recurring themes. The underlying, total recurring theme of Charlie Brown is that he's useless at things, which is why I identify with him. Uh, I really, really love him. He says, I hate kite-eating trees. They take kites from innocent little kids and they hold them in their branches and they eat them. You stupid tree. If you bite my kite, I'll bite you. And what happens is his kites get left up there and they, they... get bitten in his eyes but they just wither and it takes remarkably a long time for a football to disappear I'm not exaggerating it was up there for years and years and years uh, he says if you bite my kite I'll bite you all right you asked for it didn't you think I'd do it you didn't think I'd do it did you so he's bitten the tree and the first thing I want to get us to ponder for a few moments is how we respond when we're angry. What is it that we do when something isn't as we want it to be? And do we fly off the handle and say things or do things that we regret? Anyway, a few days pass, and his sister comes in and says, here, big brother, you've got a letter. It's from the Environment Protection Agency. It's something about you biting a tree. Charlie Brown says, do you always read my mail? She says, do you always bite trees? (laughs) I can't believe it. He's reading the letter and he says to Lucy, I can't believe it. The Environment Protection Agent is after me just because I bit a tree. It was a kite-eating tree and I only bit it to get even. And uh, she's American, she says, 50 cents says they'll throw you in the slammer. That is not the rap artist, that is just the money. Uh, just translating for you, slammer is, the prison, is prison. Is this the tree you bit, big brother? I was mad. That stupid tree ate my kite. And it may be that we have regrets. We have things that we've said. Or we look at a world that is increasingly angry and polarised and aggression against aggression against aggression. She says, what do you think they'll do to you? He says, Ten to, she says, 10 to 1, they'll throw him in the slammer. He goes to his dog... Uh, Snoopy, I need an attorney. I have a feeling the Environment Protection Agency is going to sue me for biting a tree. No problem, says Snoopy. My client was confused, Your Honour. He thought he was a beaver. (laughs) Sometimes it's difficult to explain to people why we've done things. I think I'll run away, says Charlie Brown. She says, are you the kind who runs from a problem, Charlie Brown? No, by golly, I'll stay and fight. I'll use all the strength and talent I possess to prove my cause was just. She says, you better run away. <laughs> I'm running away, Sally. I don't want to go to jail. You running away, says Lucy. Running away is the easy way out, Charlie Brown. And he's got all his belongings packed up in his little uh, handkerchief tied together and it all comes undone. He says, for me it isn't. I know it's wrong to run away. But who wants to go to jail? Besides, biting one tree isn't going to destroy the environment. No one's going to miss me anyway. I never do anything right. If life were a camera... I'd have the lens cap on. How do we find strength to deal with our anger and our frustration and our regrets that we've handled situations in the wrong way? How do we find strength to deal with the news that makes us angry? How do we find strength to deal with one side against another, the polarization There's a repeating cycle of violence. And how do we find strength not to run away? Whatever it is that we may be facing in our lives. Facing things at work. Facing things in the family. Facing things mentally for us. How do we keep going? It's into this context that I want to look at the next part of Nehemiah. I've been chuntering through that. Uh, All the previous ones are on wherever you get your podcasts or on our YouTube channel. And Nehemiah is a story that's rooted in the Middle East. It's rooted in the conflict around Jerusalem, but this is two and a half thousand years ago. Some people say that that wars are caused by religion. They're not caused by religion. They're caused by land. People disputing and arguing over whose land it is. And different peoples have lived and get moved from different lands against their will at times. And in this particular story, Nehemiah has been moved from Jerusalem where perhaps his great-grandparents have been, he's been a slave, he's been imprisoned, he's gone halfway around the world, well, not quite literally, but he's gone several hundred miles away, he's a slave, he's risen to be quite an important slave, and he hears that where his parents, grandparents, or great-grandparents lived, Jerusalem, that they haven't been able to rebuild the walls, and so the, 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 the city is open to attack We know that a wall signifies security at night. And without a wall, people come and take stuff, enslave people. And he's depressed by it. This is all stuff that we've looked at before, but I just want to remind us of it. He prays to God, and uh, the opportunity arises for him to say something, and he, he, he says, send me. He wants to go and help out. And so he goes, and he goes to a dispirited people, who are fearful of rebuilding the city wall and he inspires them to start because of what God has done in getting them there and they begin. But the local governor of the area and other leaders are angry. They don't want him to do that and we've looked at this as to why they might have been angry. Perhaps it was because their failure to build the wall has been exposed. Perhaps it was because they were in league with those who were exploiting those who had no defences. And their sort of mafia way of doing things was going to be challenged. Or perhaps they simply had a deep-rooted prejudice. Whatever it is, they whipped up opinion. And so much of this story is repeated in generation after generation after generation. Where we whip up stories about the other. The people who are different to us. And he gets the army on his side and uh, Nehemiah responds in prayer and in his anger at what is going on he asks God to deal with it and he asks God to protect and avenge and uh, punish he doesn't want to do it he says he's giving it all to God to deal with to act on his behalf and the people work with all their heart and that's where we left it last time they've prayed they've been reinfused. they start working again and it gets worse. And it may be that there are things that you have prayed, people you've prayed for, things in your own life. You pray, and as you pray, fervently and you feel real breakthrough, and yet actually the next day it's worse. You've prayed for somebody and you phone them up, how's it going, and you hear it's worse. And Nehemiah has prayed, but the resentment towards The building of the wall has got worse. They plotted together to come and fight against Jerusalem and stir up trouble. Two and a half thousand years, people were stirring trouble. What does that mean? It means you create an enthusiasm for violence by whipping up a hatred it doesn't just happen. War and violence doesn't just happen in a vacuum. It's stirred up. And then I says, but we pray to our God and we'll come to the end in a minute because he does two things. He prays and he does something. And I want to commend that balance to us. That if we're looking for strength, we need to pray and. Prayer is the priority. It's the first thing. We've seen that already. How often Nehemiah prays. Sometimes he prays and nothing happens for months. Sometimes he prays and things get worse. But he keeps on praying. What kind of things might he be praying for? Praying for wisdom. God, will you show me what to do? Praying for strength. God, will you help me to do this, to carry on, to fulfill what you've asked me to do? For deliverance. God, will you keep me safe? Will you lead me into where you want me to be and set me free from my enemies? And maybe we pray for forgiveness. Lord, will you not only forgive me, but will you help me to forgive others? The cycle of violence is perpetuated when we refuse to let go of our anger. And part of what we do is to pray, Lord, well, you know the Lord's Prayer. Forgive us our Sins, as we forgive those who sin against us. It's maybe the hardest prayer to pray. So he prays, but he also posts to guard day and night to meet this threat. There is an action. And sometimes there's a kind of false spirituality that says if you're going to pray, you shouldn't do anything else. If you're going to pray, you shouldn't take a pill. If you're going to pray, you shouldn't do anything. And actually that's a false dichotomy. Because to do and use the skills, the intelligence, the acts that God has given us is part of what God asks of us. You know the the famous cartoon of two guys sitting in a canoe on the edge of Niagara Falls and one says to the other, shall we pray or paddle? And the answer is both. You pray for the strength to paddle hard. He prays and he posts guards. He says to them, We're going to see what he does. He gets go, folks and he puts them up uh, with swords and bows and Stand guard over us. And we are to use God's equipping. We're to use what God has given us. Whether he's given us intelligence, we're to use it. We're to use our common sense. God, in an amazing creation, the brain, uh, your brain is, is incredible. Uh, Mine isn't so good, but yours is incredible. Use it. God, I think, sometimes says, I gave you a brain. What do you think I gave it to you for? We pray and we do what makes sense. We use the discoveries that the brain has found over the centuries. We use electricity. We use medicine. We use... The computer. We use our phone. We use what God has given us. We use our skills. We use our abilities. We use the things that we can do. And we use our resources. We pray and act. It is both together. And He prepares. He prepares for the attack that he's been threatened with. He's been told, and Sambalas told all the uh, army, he's whipped them up to hate the people of Judah, the Judeans, what became in our language the Jews. But at this point, it's the people of Judah, the Judeans. But I want you to notice something. They they guard and they post a defense. But in the book of Nehemiah, there is no battle. They don't attack. They are ready to defend. They are armed to defend. But they don't attack Sambala or Tobiah. They don't go out to destroy their enemy. They are ready to defend. They're ready to defend what they believe they've been called to do. They're ready to defend the widow, the orphan, the vulnerable, the weak, but they do not attack. Next Sunday is Remembrance Sunday, and we'll be praying and noting that in our services together. And the complexity of our world with the different divisions and the different wars, and in particular what we see unfolding in the Middle East, so easily polarises. And there is a, a, a pressure on us to take one side or the other. And we've invited you to pray for peace and Deb produced some resources which were available. Uh, If there's a link in our email for you to click some different scriptures, different ways of praying with children, with all ages, with a group, for ourselves. When we pray, we just note that Nehemiah never attacked those who threatened him but he was ready to defend. And maybe that is something that is so important for leaders to hear in our world today, that we don't create peace by preemptively attacking people. Blessed are the peacemakers. We'll perhaps explore that a little bit more as we look at Nehemiah next week making peace is not about attacking people because when we attack people they become our enemies making peace is about finding a way to step back and there is a place for weapons to defend and there my posts a guard but we're going to see that they never actually fight Meanwhile, the people in Judah said the strength of the labourers is giving out. Strength is running out. There is so much rubble that we cannot rebuild the wall. There are three ways in which their strength is running out. Even though they're over halfway into finishing the wall, they've nearly done. But the task is overwhelming. They're looking at what still has to be done and they're going, I'm never, we're never going to do this. We're never, ever going to get this done. Have you ever started on a job and you have started with huge enthusiasm and you get a few uh, hours into it, a few days into it, a few years into it and you think, never going to do this. I've been clearing my mum's flat. My sisters have been absolutely brilliant. My mum collected things, as do I. As do all my sisters. And you think, we're never going to get this done because there's a date when the decorators are coming in. Are we ever going to get this done? And sometimes the task seems overwhelming. The strength is running out because they are hearing the threats. Our enemies said, before they know it or see us, we will be right among them and we will kill them and put an end to the work. This is an incredible threat. We're going to come and kill you. We are going to come and kill you. And it's no wonder that that just saps fear and anxiety, saps strength. And there will be things in our lives that we're frightened of, frightened of what certain people say, frightened of what could happen, and it just drains us and we're running out of strength. And they say to Nehemiah, the people can't do it. They can't do it because they're looking at what is still to come and it's too big. They can't do it because they fear what's going to happen. And then above all, or on top of everything else, even their own people are saying they're going to come and kill us. And there is negativity. Instead of the, the, the encouragement from within, there is this negativity The Judeans who live near them came and told us. They come over to the people who are benefiting from the wall. They come over to it and say, "You're going to get killed. This is rubbish. Ten times over, they tell them. They they keep on saying it. They keep on coming and standing, putting their hands in their pockets. It's not going to work. You're going to get killed for doing this. And there is nothing more discouraging than a person we thought would be encouraging is just negative. It's just not going to work. It's just not going to work. And uh, they said, I can't do it. Therefore, we read. So he acts. I station some of the people behind the lowest points of the wall at the exposed places, posting them by families with their swords, spears and bows. He acts. His acts is defence and protection. That's the action. Let's pray for a moment. Father, we pray for a world that seeks revenge. We pray for a world that attacks to destroy rather than building reconciliation and forgiveness. Will you raise up leaders like Nehemiah who are ready to defend their people But with courage and patience, hold back violence. Build peace in our world. Raise men and women of reconciliation, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. So. He not only does something practical, he's prayed and action. He does something practical. We're going to put some guards up. He then says, I have looked over these things over. I stood and said to the nobles, the officials and the rest of the people, don't be afraid of them. Remember the Lord who is great and awesome and fight for your people, your sons and your daughters, your wives and your homes. I just want you to draw your attention that he tells them to remember. We've been looking as a church at Praying Like Monks, Living Like Fools, a book by Tyler Statton. We encourage folks to read it over the summer. Some of our small groups are looking at it. Biblically, uh, we are commanded, he says, biblically you are commanded to remember more frequently than to obey. Do not, do, do not what am I saying? Let me just read that sentence again. More frequently they need to obey than to obey, to do, to not do, to go, or even to pray. Remember. It's true. If you look at the Bible, the number of times they're told just to remember. Because in the long journey of the spiritual life, we tend to forget, we tend to lose the plot of our own redemption story. We are encouraged to remember. That's part of what it means to be in church together. We are reminding each other. We're remembering who God is, what he has done, his story in our lives, his hand upon us. The things that he's done uh, through Jesus and the things that he's done personally in us, we remember. There will come a point when many of you, you may look around and you'll say, there's people here who used to be here. Where are they? there will come a point where you are tempted because things are difficult. Your strength is running out. Maybe the task seems overwhelming. Maybe there is fear and anxiety. Maybe even your own, even the church, maybe Christian friends are discouraging you and the temptation is to say, I'll leave church. But actually that's the very point when we need to come together and remember and to remind each other And Nehemiah tells them that they're going to fight. And we find out that what he means and what actually happens is they fight never with their swords. They fight simply by continuing to build the wall and ignoring the threat. They fight with perseverance. Their weapon is to not give up. Remember how far you've come, not just how far you have to go. You are not where you want to be, but neither are you where you used to be, says Rick Warren. They remember the past and they are comfortable that everything isn't yet done. And they stay. They keep on building. Their weapon isn't to go out and destroy the people who are talking about them, who are racially abusing them, who want them to be destroyed. Their weapon is to say, we won't waver. We'll just carry on gently, humbly, quietly building this wall. It is inevitable that some defeat will enter even the most victorious life. The human spirit is never finished when it is defeated. It is finished when it surrenders. And maybe what God asks of us is just to keep going. Ephesians 6 talks about our battle against spiritual forces, not against flesh and blood. And he says, and after everything, after every assault, what does he ask of us? To stand. And we read that when our enemies heard that we were aware of their plot and that God had frustrated it, how had he frustrated it? He'd frustrated it because they hadn't given up. They'd simply put guards. There was no battle. We all returned to the wall and each to our own work. The plot was frustrated because the intention wasn't to come and kill them but just to scare them. And it didn't work. Success seems to be largely a matter of hanging around after others have let go. What is it that God is saying... Just hang in there. Maybe a relationship that's difficult, a person that we're praying for and it's not getting any better, someone that is draining and it's hard. We wonder where we're going, where our strength is running out. Maybe it's a situation at work. Maybe it's a family situation. Maybe it's something uh, in in the community, in the church, and we want to stand with integrity. And the battle we have is just to say, I'm not going to give up. I'm going to keep on loving. I'm going to keep on forgiving. I'm going to keep on serving. I'm going to keep on praying. I'm going to keep on worshipping. I'm going to keep going. From that day on, half of my men did the work, while the other half were equipped with spears, shields, and bows, and armors. The officers posted themselves behind all the people of Judah who were building the wall. They did it together. It was teamwork. We need one another. I want to see encourage you to stay after the service, talk to people, build relationship. Find people that you will care for and support, and you will strengthen in times of their difficulty. Because when we commit to strengthen others, we find that others will strengthen us. If we come to church and say, Lord, help me, we tend to get upset come to church and say, how can I help others? How can I just be a friend? How can I listen? How can I pray? How can I be in such a relationship with someone that I'll phone up in the week and say, how did that go? It's through teamwork that we find strength. And they remained alert. Those who carried materials did their work with one hand and held a weapon in the other. They were ready to fight, but they never attacked. And each one of the builders wore his sword at his side as he worked, but the man who sounded the trumpet stayed with me. And I said to the nobles and the rest of the people, the work is extensive and spread out, and we're widely separated from each other along the wall. Wherever you hear the sound of the trumpet, join us, then our God will fight for us. If there's an attack, we'll blow the trumpet, and God will be with us. Because we haven't started it, and we haven't retaliated we will defend the vulnerable among us. So we continue to work with half the men holding spears from the first light of dawn till the stars came out at night. They just stuck with it. It was hard. And serving God and following his purposes for us in the relationships we've been placed in is difficult. And we feel drained. And we want to give up. We want to walk away. And that time I said to the people, have every man and his helper stay inside Jerusalem at night so they can serve as guards by night and as workers by day. Feel the fear, feel the anxiety, feel the danger. Neither I nor my brothers nor my men nor the guards with me. Took all our clothes, each had his weapon. They just didn't even go to bed. Uh, They went to bed in their clothes. Even when they went for water, they were ready. But it doesn't happen. In a moment, Sam and the band are gonna lead us in responding to God. I don't know what we're weary of. I don't know where our strength has run out. I don't know what it is where we want the energy to forgive rather than bite the tree. I don't know where it is that we want to find the strength not to run away. We pray. Everything comes out of prayer. We start with prayer. And then we remember and remind ourselves in the community of God's people, in the songs we sing, in the readings we hear, in the things we read weekly, day by day, we remember who God is. And we fight with perseverance. Not hurtful words. Not aggression. Not manipulation. Not coercion. Not lying not bullying, we fight with the weapons of love, the weapons that we see Jesus. Jesus also speaks into this community that's oppressed at that time by the Romans. And he tells the people to love their enemies. We fight with an enduring love, that's our weapon. And we build relationships with one another. We offer ourselves to listen and care for each other. Whether in small groups. Whether on a Wednesday night. Whether in just relation amongst people you meet tonight. And we stay alert. We're ready for difficulty. We're not surprised when things are hard. We're not surprised when it's hard to follow Jesus. But we have a confidence in God. So three questions to ask us to reflect on for a moment or two. Firstly, what do we need to remember about God? That he's good, that he's loving, that he's merciful, that he's gracious, that he's compassionate, that he's slow to anger, that he's forgiving, that he's abounding in generosity, that he has saved us, that he has helped us before, that he's answered our prayers before, that he's never let us go. What is it that we need to remind ourselves in in the midst of conflict? And then what weapons of aggression are we to lay down and what weapons of perseverance are we to pick up? I'm going to ask um band to come and join me, and I want to pray into these things. Let me just get some words. Give you a moment or two to consider and pause and quietly pray into those questions. I'm going to put alongside them a prayer, which in a moment I'm going to invite you to say with me if you wish. Shall we stand together. Father, we want to bring to you the things that are wearisome, the things that we're just not sure if we've got the energy to complete, the things that we're so tempted just to give up on, the people we want to give up on, the battles for truth. That we want to give up on. The battles to do the right thing. That we want to give up on. The battle to be gracious and patient. That we want to give up on. Father we're weary. Will you grant us your strength. Help us to remember you. When we're tempted to fly off the handle, when we're tempted to give up, help us to remember you. We're sorry for the times we've reacted in anger. We've tried to hurt. We've tried to win. I want to lay down the weapons of the world and pick up the way of Christ, the way of the cross, the way of meekness and humility, mercy and grace. And help us, after everything else, to still stand.